Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Hi, everyone. This is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds. Today, we are bringing you a very special educational episode from our very own Chief Digital and Creative Officer, Stephen Mackey. Stephen recently spoke at the Mid-Atlantic Marketing Summit and moderated a panel titled How COVID Moved B2B Marketing Toward a B2C Model. Panelists included Beth Taylor, Vice President of Corporate Marketing at MicroStrategy, Patrick Smith, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Cvent, and Ronan Keene, Vice President, Global Demand Generation Marketing at GTT. So in the panel, the group talked about how COVID has impacted so many different aspects of our lives, but they saw something really interesting happening from a marketing perspective. For example, they saw B2B marketing morph into an experience that resembles B2C marketing. In a number of ways, they noticed how the two models are now converging. Um, during the discussion, they talk about some of the most significant components of this shift and the key things marketers need to know about it. Please take a listen and let us know what you think. Great. Well, thank you everybody so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us today for what we believe, and I'm sure you all must as well, the fact that you're sitting here. Um, a very interesting topic in, in a post-COVID world, how is B2B marketing really starting to take on much more of a B2C um, you know, methodologies, strategies, tactics, and, and stuff like that. Um, I have the very good fortune today to be joined by um, three leading, uh, three leaders in the marketing industry. Um, and I would like you all to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your role and your background in B2B, and then we'll kind of get into some, uh, some panel discussion. Beth? All right, hi guys, um, Beth Taylor. I'm the VP of Corporate Marketing at MicroStrategy, a local, uh, local icon. Um, I've spent my whole career in B2B tech. I actually had the outside a few years on Wall Street. Um, I had the good fortune of starting my career when cloud was not a thing, and I rode the cloud, the growth of cloud, um, from a marketing standpoint through Booz Allen, IBM, and then to air travel, uh, which led me to MicroStrategy. And if you don't know, MicroStrategy is a data and analytics company uh, through and through B2B play with large scale enterprise. Ronan? Hi, uh, <clears throat> great to see everyone here. Um, I'm sure it's gonna be a good conversation. Uh, my name is Ronan Keen. Uh, I work, I'm VP of Demand Generation Marketing for uh, GTT. We're one of the top uh, tier one IP networks in the world. So uh, most of the uh, internet traffic travels on our backbone. Um, my job is, you know, at, at, at the very base level, um, you know, uh, how do we get leads? How do we turn those leads into sales qualified leads? And how do we get them to sales? And how do we measure all of that? Um, so it makes for a very interesting uh, time, uh, daily, weekly, monthly. And uh, I hope to be able to impart some wisdom to you guys if you're at all interested in that. So thank you. Thank you. And Patrick. Hello, I'm Patrick Smith, Chief Marketing Officer at Cvent. Uh, we are the world's, uh, one of the world's biggest event technology companies. Uh, we're actually right up the road here in Tyson's. Um, so I've been in B2B tech back a long time ago. I started at Maine Logistics and then I was CMO at Dell Tech. 
uh, and then joined Cvent about five and a half years ago. So, um, been around the tech space quite a while, and um, I've seen a lot. My job sounds a lot like yours, which is fill the pipeline for sales, grow the company, um, build the brand. But a lot of my time is spent on the sales side, and in terms of getting them leads and so forth. So, we'll have a lot to talk about if the conversation goes that direction. Awesome. Thank you. And I'm Stephen Mackey. I'm the Chief Digital Officer at W2 Communications. Um, I head up two of our four divisions there, our creative design uh, division, which encompasses web development, video production, branding, collateral, and design, as well as our digital marketing division. So all of our PPC initiatives, organic social, paid social, lead gen initiatives for clients, um, and a lot of uh, digital marketing strategy, which really uh, W2 turned a corner um, during the onset of COVID when everybody's trade show budgets went up in the air and they're like had all of this money laying around and they just threw it to digital and they said go do stuff. Uh, we helped them figure out exactly what that meant. Um, my side hustle, um, if you all read the bio, uh, I also do work in B2C. Uh, my wife and I own Notaviva Farm Brewery and Winery. So on the weekends we are marketing directly to consumers on a much different scale than, than W2 Communications, of course. So everything from big tech and big cyber down to a local mom and pop shop on, on the B2B space. So I've seen a lot of convergence in the techniques and uh, storytelling methodologies that we use between the two. And that was really what inspired some of this conversation. Um, so last week we, you know, we met and we kind of did some brainstorming around some of the topics that we wanted to address that we thought you all might find valuable. And throughout this conversation, uh, 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 like Ronan said, we do hope to impart some ideas and some things that you can take away and, and try in your own um, businesses. Um, and I wanted to kick it off with Beth. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that, that you said last week that I thought was really interesting and when we talk about one of the ways that B2B marketing is looking a lot more like B2C marketing is what we call frictionless experiences, right? People are much more empowered to move through the various stages of the customer journey in much of a self-serve model. Um, and that had a great anecdote. She's like, you know, you can find out more about um, a hammer and a nail on Amazon um, than you can about a first-class ticket on just about any, <laughs> any travel website, right? So, so Beth, tell, tell me a little bit more about what, what you meant by that, right? That level of detail that you find in B2C platforms that you think is a little lacking in B2B. Yeah. Um, for anyone that gets, like, the Gartner marketing reports or any, really any sourced marketing data, you tend to see, and you've seen this data point creep up, right? It's like 55% of B2B purchases are without a sales rep involved, and it's like 63%. The latest one was like 77%, and that was a few weeks ago from Gartner. Um, so you see it creep up, you, you know it means something. I think that nail example is actually really good and I encourage you to go to Amazon after this and go look at a nail. You can turn it, you can see the weight, the dimension, uh, every little tiny piece of information that you'd want, especially the pricing component. Oh, sorry. Um, is, is something that you just expect, right? Sorry. <laughs> and. Uh, Hey guys, you want to come in? Come on. <laughs> um, anyway, so like that piece of it, especially during COVID when it just everything, I mean, you probably saw your phone tell you you're on your phone, you know, eight hours a day, right? Uh, you're expecting it, right? You're expecting it. You're moving between business decisions, consumer decisions. You're at home with your kids, with your boss. Um, 
your website and your web properties, whether it's your own property or third party like communities, need to reflect that same amount of data. The hardest part, and I'm be curious to hear you guys' thoughts on this, that I've personally run into, I'm sure you guys have seen this too, is pricing, right? B2B pricing decisions are complex. Uh, there are some people that do a pretty good job of it, um, like the AWS calculator where you can fully match each component of your cloud experience is a, is a good example. Um, but I would say that's one piece that if you're not getting all the way to that price point uh, component, you're losing people, right? They're, people don't want to give you their data if you're, they, they know they're not going to get the price out of the experience. Yeah, that's, that's really great insight. I, I've had that experience a lot, particularly in our web development stuff. If you go to a web hosting provider like WP Engine or SiteGround or whatever, you just expect that the pricing isn't going to be transparent, easy, again, frictionless, very easy to buy. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting is I was visiting the MicroStrategy website last night. I went to the home page, and when you scroll down the home page, I'm like, it kind of feels like an Amazon. It's just all well laid out, and everything is there. And the way the organization was, um, I thought was really, really interesting. But it didn't look like a typical B2B kind of experience. And so I thought it was pretty cool. There's a backstory there. Uh, <laughs> when I started, um, so our former CEO is a futurist, if you know Michael Saylor, the name. Um, and so he's a, he had a vision when, YouTube, when he saw the data points tied to YouTube uh, and videos in particular. Uh, why, why can't we be the B2B uh, experience that you have on YouTube or Netflix or Disney Plus? Uh, which is why the website looks the way it does. We over-rotated into video as a, as a result, which is a B2C platform. B2C platform. Um, another thing you said was uh, uh, you know, about serving different kinds of uh, content to people and, and making it seamless and, and, and very informative. Ronan, one of the things that you mentioned was um, you guys are sharing content with people through through their phones and in different stages and stuff like that. I think that kind of flows into this theme of more personalization, right? How are we able to personalize the customer journey with B2B buyers, very similar to, to B2C buyers. Um, how far down the funnel have they come before you start to engage with that technique? Is it very early on, very late stage, pre-close? Like, how does that work for you all? Yeah, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, very interesting. Uh, we've experienced uh, some some really you know positive results, and then some other kind of uh, negative results. Uh, I will preface you know my comment with uh, we are not a SaaS company where you you know you look at a you look at the pricing possibly we're um, a very you know expansive and large. Um, they're typically large engagements that go over months, possibly even years. The buying committee is at least eight to 10 people, uh, so it's a complex sale. Um, and so uh, my vision that um, I've tried to execute is, how do, we, how do we become more like a publishing company where we can entertain, educate, and use the proven sort of social network outlets like YouTube? Um, uh, so there's a company uh, that rhymes with Shick Shock that is now our one of our customers uh, and uh, I'm looking to see if there's a way that we can um, leverage that. I've heard throughout my career over the last 10-12 years, uh, well these are B2B buyers, why, why would we you know, 
target them on all of these different social networks. We should just focus on LinkedIn, because that's where B2B buyers go. Um, I've, true, I've heard that time and time again. Um, so part of our strategy is, uh, is let's test it, let's test the engagement, let's track it using UTMs, Google UTMs, uh, universal tracking, right? And uh, let's see what the engagement is like, right? So are they engaging more or less? Where do, where, which channels, which sources generate the most engagement, right? And uh, LinkedIn doesn't always fare well. You know, uh, Facebook does, uh, YouTube has been great. We've just been running ads, uh, video ads on YouTube, um, and that's worked really well. So we're trying to, so in summary, we're trying to tell a story in, in, a, in a linear way based upon what asset you visited, you know, when you visited it, and then what's the next asset we present to you, and, uh, and then move people through their buyer's journey, uh, and hopefully generate what we consider an SQL. Hey, I want to talk to you. I want to learn more. I've learned about your company, what I've been exposed to, uh, and that's sort of it, yeah, simplistically. Mm -hmm. I've, I've got an anecdote for anyone considering the, what do you call it? Shikshak. Shikshak, <laughs> yes. Uh, An old colleague of mine actually just launched a, a Shikshak channel. Um, launched a TikTok channel for Northwestern Mutual, which is a financial community bank, and it, they, they covered it in Digiday. It is worth taking a look at because if you're thinking about that kind of strategy, you, you know the challenge, right? Internally mm -hmm. trying to convince, and in this case, a 140-year-old financial company to do TikTok. Uh, you know, she went through it. If you have questions, reach out to her. But it's for the exact reasons you mentioned. I mean, I personally I have a young daughter. I spent a lot of time on TikTok in the beginning of COVID because I was curious. And after that article, I went and spent an hour just kind of seeing what the content had evolved to. There's definitely a B2B play there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting. And in light of recent news, I think the FCC chairman just said that TikTok should be banned from America for security reasons. And the reality is no, nobody cares. The people yeah. that watch it don't care. <laughs> They just want it there, they want to watch it, and it's going to be up um, to folks like us to have that open conversation with clients and be like, is this right for you? Again, the work that W2 Communications does involves a lot of cybersecurity companies, right? So whether it even worked for them or not, just the stigma of it, I think, is an impediment right now. But I think there are other B2B plays or whatever, clearly, in the financial services sector, where it does seem to make a lot of sense. So. Um, so Patrick wanted to, wanted to um, kind of build on another couple of things um, that, that Ronan was saying is they're trying to figure out how to serve up which asset to people as they progress them down. Again, I keep using this word, but that is the word, this frictionless buyer's journey, which are no longer linear anymore. People are bouncing between social and influencers and stuff like that. But you made an interesting comment. You're like, in the B2C world, you never talk to a salesman. I've never talked to a salesman from Coke but I've had a few of those in my day, right? I mean, that list is, is pretty much infinite. Uh, and I think we are moving to much more of that in this B2B realm, right? Self-serve, completely autonomous you know, customer journeys or whatever. Um, and I think you're starting to see an increase in the spend level that people are comfortable making. They'll drop 50 grand on a renewal and never talk to somebody. What do you see in there? Yeah, so I think, you know, for Cvent, one of the things that we really pride ourselves on that we spend an awful lot of time on is content marketing. And for us, it was all about 
the the visceral end result of a great event because you know I think this is where really a good way to channel kind of a B to C mindset and B to B marketing and that is it's really at the end of the day what we're trying to market is an amazing result at your event and how you get there whether it's a genie's lamp. Um, a magic wand or C-Vent software, you really want that great event. So we're trying to talk about the end result and then work back from there. And not Because a lot of times when I first arrived at the C-Vent, we did a great job talking about all the, here's how you set a registration site up. You can use 50 different reg types and all those classic sort of feature function type discussions. But ultimately people want great events and we're a catalyst to do that along with a lot of other parties like great venues like this. So we try to have a conversation and content and the thought leadership content and how do I run a great event? Let's not talk product first. Let's pull people to us with the, the best practices that we know because we powered five million events plus in our history. We know an awful lot about what to do. So that's really been a great strategy for us. But more and more, as Beth was saying earlier, a lot of this happens without ever talking to anyone. So we have various offerings at Cvent that you can try before you buy. It's the free trial. It's this whole product-led growth uh, motion that's really taking off. You know, it used to be SaaS 10, 15 years ago that everyone had to do that. Now, if you start a software company, you're probably going to do product-led growth, which is the product's the star. You try it before you buy it. You can look at all your different pricing tiers. You can get onboarded quickly. So that changes how you interact with customers. You have to make sure there's not a lot of complicated steps to set up an account to actually use it. And then, oh, by the way, throughout this whole journey, there might be a button that says, talk to sales. You know, once your requirements meet a certain level that's higher than what you can get with that product that you can either use for free or pay for with a credit card, then talk to sales if you want more of an enterprise model. More and more, that's what we're looking at doing um, and embracing that sort of mindset. Because there's a whole population that doesn't want to talk to sales, if they can help it. And I think that's getting more and more <laughs> prominent with every generation. So I think we all in B2B marketing need to be aware of that dynamic. Can I uh, just Please? add one thing? Um, so uh, so if, if you're uh, if you're part of a, an organization that, again, has more complex sales, um, what we're doing is um, we have, um, unlike Patrick, uh, we have, it's very difficult to, uh, to get someone to overtly put their hand up and say, I want a demo. Um, there's too many people, uh, the demos are typically, you know, uh, it's not a, a pre-recorded demo or a demo that you download. Multiple solutions architects are involved. Our demos are complicated. Let me just leave it at that. Um, so what we do is we use uh, DemandBase. It's an ABM platform, and uh, we track we track people's intentions and their engagement. Um, and, and simply put, uh, intent is our prospects out in the digital world. Um, doing, researching things, doing searches, downloading stuff. Uh, we have access to that data. Um, and then the engaged part is we track who's engaging with our website, uh, who's engaging with our emails. And we have all of that in one place. Sounds like a panacea, it's not. It's, it's very difficult to manage and operate, but uh, it's certainly helpful. And, uh, and we use that as a means to target um, individual functions at our prospect accounts and so on and so forth. So uh, a, a little different than maybe uh, Patrick's world and, and Beth's world. Um, ours is, uh, you know, it's hard to get someone to overtly, we're more covert. Hey, this person really looks like 
they're interested. Let's sick a salesperson on them and see if they can't generate a meeting, right? Um, versus all of these conversions for demos and stuff. Can I ask the audience how many of you use intent data today if you're in a B2B space? Um, two things I wanted to build on. Um, Patrick mentioned the, the try before your, your, your buy model. How many, how many of you folks are HubSpot users? So we've got a few HubSpot users, but I think most people would agree they're really the masters of that space, right? Because if you think in terms of content marketing, the amount of thought leadership and usable, actionable content that they just give away. Like, here's how you do this, here's how you do this, here's how you do this. Try our, try our platform, do it for 30 days. You can try it, it's free forever up to a certain number of contacts. And then you start to use it and you're like, this thing really, really works, right? And then they transition you up, yeah. you can visit through HubSpot. Huh? Yeah, and HubSpot consciously transitioned to that model. They were very successful before. They were sales driven in the beginning and transitioned from that to the current model they have. So they're a really interesting case study in how you do that because that's a big change. I mean, we're so sales driven at Cvent that, uh, and, and I, I gotta give the sales team credit, they're excited about the product-led growth thing because it does end up driving huge sales if you have the right requirements, but it does create that um, hopefully more frictionless experience. But there are case studies of companies that have uh, really evolved to doing that. And HubSpot's the best. Yeah, and another thing that, um, that Ronan mentioned in terms of um, understanding and analyzing intent, one of the tools that we use for our clients is SEMrush, S-E-M-Rush. You can fight over that all day. Um, but when you do use the, uh, the keyword magic tool in your we spend a lot of time cross-referencing between Google Keyword Planner um, and SEMrush, right? Because they don't always agree, because SEMrush pulls in information from lots of different places. The thing that I do like about it is now they've got these little icons. So in addition to keyword difficulty and CPC and stuff like that, they tell you what most people are searching that for. Are they just in uh, a navigational thing? Are they searching with intent? Is it a commercial intent or is it transactional? Right? And then you can take those keywords, and again, what are we trying to do? We're trying to make B2B marketing look more like B2C marketing, move these people through stages of the customer journey with a lot of autonomy and you know, um, self-service or whatever. So by understanding their intent when they're searching for particular keywords, it can help us figure out um, what are the content assets that we need to progress them down these stages or whatever, and we don't have to guess anymore, right? We can use some of that actionable data. Um, uh, we, we need to talk. Yeah. <laughs> so Beth, I wanted, I wanted to circle back. I mean, one of the things that I think um, has every marketer um, a little bit jittery is um, changes in legislation, changes in data privacy laws, changes in Apple, or I, I saw the craziest word the other day, cookie palooza. Right? I hadn't seen that one before. I thought I'd seen them all, but I, I think that kind of summarizes it. Um, but you talked about personal identity and the changes and certainly B2C, but how is that going to impact yeah. B2B marketing? But where do we find the opportunities? So this is the single biggest argument uh, at my company some days, which is do you, need, do you create an account anymore? Right? Do you need a login or a profile in order to potentially buy a product in a B2B space? Um, I was asked recently, a couple of times actually by Gartner event, uh, what's the most delightful marketing experience? And this is a room full of marketing executives. And you know, people are raising their hand and they're saying, you know, oh, I saw this video that was really, you know, cute or whatever it might be. I basically said like buying something with my face was the coolest marketing like experience <laughs> that I've had in the last five years. Uh, you know, 
there's there's a time and place like on the adoption curve of that where we're now pretty squarely in a environment where you can you don't have to create an account. You can use your Google ID, your Apple ID, your Facebook ID, whatever it might be, and you're seeing that start to show up in B2B websites, right? So that's we're in the early days of it, but if that continues, there's a huge conversation around data. It's where intent data becomes really important because you're at least capturing what is available. Um, but I'll tell you, our product team, and especially for anyone in the tech space, uh, like our CTO says, he's like, I do not create an account ever for any purchase or any consideration of a B2B product. So if that's the CTO, and I'm, I work with a lot of our customers who are CTOs, uh, they all do the same thing. And they're giving me their Gmail addresses for CEO dinners, right? They're not giving me their business in, uh, addresses anymore because of that data privacy concern. So it's still kind of, I think there's a window right now where like the create account thing, you know, there's companies that still have it, we still have it. Um, but we need to start taking actions because of this merging into the B2C environment where people don't expect, they, they've given their security credentials to Google, maybe to Apple, uh, and that's it, right? It's that kind of um, authenticated profile that people are trying to move towards that if we don't start thinking about it for B2B, we're gonna be late and we're not gonna be getting leads, right? And so one thing that I do want to just state flatly is like as much convergence as we're starting to see, B2B marketing and B2C marketing will forever be different. It comes down to one reason. In B2C marketing, people are spending their own money. B2B marketing, they're spending other people's money, right? Everything else can be very similar above that, but when you get down to some point or whatever, there's a different level of responsibility that comes with B2B purchasing. So it's not just about a complete rip and replace and substituting virtual digital stuff for the physical or whatever. What most, what we're seeing a lot of now is just creating efficiencies in those gaps where there used to be lag times where it had to be a physical meeting or a lunch or a trade show or whatever. Um, you know, you're turning six month buying cycles into six day buying cycles and, and stuff like that. The other thing that, that Ronan mentioned that I do want to call on is um, the buying committee the decision committee. I'm gonna go on record right now. The term decision maker is a dead term. It doesn't exist anymore. There's no, right? So a lot of our customers think that there's this throne room, right? Where the decision maker is sitting up some gilded steps, right? And, and the, uh, the minions are bringing in diligence on um, velvet pillows, right? Here's a data sheet. It doesn't look like that, right? And stakeholders have different agendas and, and things like that, right? So. A lot of times our customers will be like, well, we wanna, you know, we wanna go target the decision maker. I'm like, no, you don't. They're expensive, they're not paying attention anyway, and they've got 20 other people trying to run this stuff down for them, right? Go target the decision influencers and the decision committee. Um, kind of along those lines, I, I wanted um, Ronan and Patrick to kind of talk a moment. I think you all have both um, different experiences in terms of your digital marketing spend in, in Europe. I, I think, Ronan, you said you all are, are kind of not doing as much as you were. Patrick, I think you said you guys are turning it up over there. How have your experiences been different and, and what's working for you and, and what hasn't been so great? Sure. Um, you know, so it, it's interesting. I mean, from a, a European perspective, we have a, a big group over there, you know, in marketing and, and a lot of customers, a lot of potential in the European market. And for us, you know, that's an area where it's double opt-in in most countries. Uh, so it's all about inbound marketing. It's all about how good your website is, 
We use a lot of third-party partners that already have lists, that have credibility. In a lot of those countries, it's all about the credibility of the person or the organization. You know, in Germany, for instance, they buy a lot of event technology from local providers. So we come in as the big American company. They're like, who are these guys? We're not going to get the, the right level of service. So using those third-party partners allows us to align ourselves with a recognized brand in country that, that allows um, you know, a lot of good things to happen. So it's really you know, all about, I think, from, from that standpoint, inbound marketing. But I think on the buying committee side, you really have to be smart about the different personas. You know, we, I was just in a meeting the other day where we were mapping out our plans for 23 and the messaging, the high-level messaging we're going to use for one of our product lines. And in there, we had mapped out the decision makers because we have different content, different messages for them. You know, for the user, it's all about usability. It's about, you know, for, for the event planner, it's about being able to sleep at night, put, tuck your kids in because you're not running events on spreadsheets. Sheets. For the marketer, it's all about the end result of the event, lead generation, sales. That's a different story than the story to the planner. It's making their lives easier. For the marketer, it's revenue generation. To the CIO, it's security. You can buy this thing and not worry about it. So you just, there's various personas and you have to be very smart about that. And I think as we're seeing, and we are, buying committees get bigger. We're seeing sales cycles take longer in some cases. Um, you know, it's this trend across all of software. So you really have to be smart about how you're messaging to those. And digital marketing is a key tactic, but when they come to see you on the website, through your content, do you have the right messages to the right personas? Very important today. Yeah, I'll just add really quickly, uh, if anyone here ha has global, you know, a global market, um, it's, uh, it, it, yeah, it's challenging. It's like uh, you, you got to change gears all the time. The doc, uh, to Patrick's point, the doc region, uh, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, is very different to the UK market and, uh, and, and how they're receptive to different messages and channels and offers. Um, you know, my mom's German and she's your archetypal, you know, stiff German you know, and uh, questions everything, and especially if it comes from the Americans, and like, who do these people think they are? So there's all of the uh, cultural stuff that goes into that. Gives me a little, I spent a lot of time in Germany when I was younger, uh, so I have a little bit of a advantage there um, when I speak to uh, customers and, and the sales team, sales leaders over there. But um, ultimately, um, you know, I, I think the strategy, I'm, I'm sticking with my strategy, which is let's tell a good story, let's, telling, let's tell it in a compelling way, uh, somewhat entertaining, that uh, is memorable, and, and the primary message sticks with the person. And let's track that, and let's continue to do that uh, over time. And uh, yeah, there are variables depending upon your markets, but. So I've got an interesting thing to add there, and I'm curious your response to it. Um, there's a conversation right now, I have a global field team around Europe, and uh, they're not as into digital, right? They're not as responsive to digital in Europe, which I find interesting, because of course they have a phone, they have, a, you know, they have eyes and they experience digital um, products. Um, but, and then there's a conversation about vacation and, and all these things that is, are slightly different than the American market. But I actually kind of go to my own experience with this. Again, if we're talking B2C and B2B parallels, I read more thought leader content on my vacations when I have time, when I'm not doing quarter end, quarter start uh, cycles in my day job. And so I have this theory that some of these digital um, marketing windows can actually become quite powerful with the right content during those cycles of like the holiday season, the summer season. Um, 
do you find you know in your you know it's funny I did notice a trend a few years ago that I kept getting promotional emails on a Sunday evening right because everyone's sort of checking email they're prepping for the week it's like hey this is a time I never would have thought would be valuable but I actually paid more attention to those emails that came in simply because there weren't many other ones maybe um, so you know it's interesting and, and back on the whole anecdote around the, the the, the country stuff, and I'd be happy to talk to anyone who wants to, to commiserate or talk about just marketing in different countries. One of the ways we always led, just a real quick anecdote here, we always used to lead a lot of our, hey, come visit us at a trade show, or C-Vent, we have almost 4,000, you know, we have 4,000, 5,000 employees, we've powered 5 million events in our history, that type of zingers is what we'd use to try to get people to realize we're credible. But if you do that over Germany and these other countries, that's actually the opposite approach. Then they're going to think, you're too big, you're bragging. So a lot of times, you know, we were being pushed, and I was like, no, we have to completely rethink the message because that is the opposite of the way you want to approach it. You don't want to look like that big, arrogant American company. So there's so many nuances to international marketing and how you need to be sensitive to uh, the way people consume information. It's about what they're hearing and intuiting from it, not necessarily what you're saying. Yeah, one thing that I'm, uh, so really want to give you all some actionable takeaways, right? Pre-COVID, we worked with $15 billion government integrator or whatever, and we were helping them with their digital programs. And, and I'll never forget, we were setting up um, some Facebook ads, um, and they, they were very adamant that we only advertise between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Like, that's when B2B buyers are doing their thing, right? Post-COVID, would any of you make that statement? No, of course you wouldn't, right? Do you want to be running stuff at 2 o'clock in the morning? I don't know. If you're going for developers who are up gaming at 2 o'clock in the morning, maybe. Yeah, might be, right? Advertise on Twitch at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's fine. Um, but geolocation, right? We were doing a Mississippi-targeted thing, and we got an IT lead from someone in California. Like, that's the wrong person. I'm like, you can't say that anymore. You know how many IT folks are outsourced these days? Pre-COVID, you could have said that. Post-COVID, I don't think you can say that anymore. Um, even in our B2C at our small farm winery, right, we use the recommendation engines um, that Hootsuite provides because it's looked at our stuff and it knows people are trying to figure out what they're doing on the weekends on Thursday afternoon, right? People are reading LinkedIn articles on Sunday evening. That's when you want to place your stuff, right? But not just stuff. Targeted content, what are the kinds of things that people are consuming on, on Sunday evenings, right? So when we try to set up our, um, you know, our marketing programs for folks, it's, it's about trying to use all of that targeting information, all of the, that rich content stuff, but then uh, Ronan alluded to this earlier, analyzing all of that stuff after the fact. Um, what was our best channel? What was the best time? What were the search keywords? Um, that they were using and then how do we leverage that intel to either optimize those campaigns jettison the ones that just weren't working lose a channel but rethink the whole thing right um, and the other thing that I really like that you all were saying was people want to be part of a good story that is an essential part of what we do in B2C small business medium-sized business people want to feel like they are part of a brand um, we have definitely learned that B2B customers Here's another key takeaway. B2B customers don't want to be spoken at. They want to be spoken with, right? They want to be involved in a real dialogue. They don't want to be treated like some faceless target, right? Basic storytelling tenets like creating empathy, speaking with them about their pain points, not just yelling at someone, are we 
religion does this, blah. Right? People are so tired of that, right? Do you understand me? And I think those aspects of B2C marketing are really helping B2B. You guys find that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of the campaigns that we did that we, we do quite often is th this whole thing about what type of planner personality are you as an event planner? Are you um, a doer? Are you a, um, a plan? You know, not a planner, but we have like five or six different things. Take this quiz and we will tell you what type you are. And, and, and that doesn't generate leads, but it's part of that conversation, mm -hmm. right? It's not selling our stuff. It's let's get people talking. You can share on social media, I'm this type of planner, what are you? And anytime we are leading the conversation, we're getting people to talk with Steven in mind, that's a win. Because for us, it's all about engagement ultimately. And then that leads to good things like MQLs and SQLs. But that's the power of content beyond features and functions. And what does this widget do? So this actually came up last week. A friend of mine at Boston Consulting Group said verbatim, the, the era of pound the pavement selling is over, right? People do not, to your, your uh, em em emphasis was perfect, right? Like they don't want to be spoken at. We all get the hundreds upon hundreds of emails every day, the hundreds upon hundreds of LinkedIn requests every day. Um, just being part of the noise is not the solution. And I think that's, that's the new nuance in B2B, right? Whereas a few years ago, it was like, we gotta create more content, that, you know, build that content engine. Now it's like, you need maybe less content, more impactful, uh, engaging content. I like the story, um, I'm thinking about every event planner I've ever worked with at this point. Um, and so then how do you cut through, right? And you, you go to the communities, to your point, there are people in B2B that are gaming at 2 a.m. I have had them on my team before. Um, what communities do people that you're targeting like to do? Like, if you're targeting IT tech, there's music, there's data, there's gaming, there's different types of subgroups to their psychographics that I think as B2B marketers, we need to get to that next level in targeting. Yeah, totally agree, totally agree. We have just a couple of minutes left. Were there any questions? Um, yes, ma'am. Um, this is probably specifically for Roman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so what we've started doing, I, I'm sure lots of folks are doing this, is we, we're, we're still in the camp of, hey, let's spend $50,000 on a white paper and let's survey these you know, senior IT folks. And that's, and, and that's great, you know? Um, and there's real value to that. And we'll work with IDC or Gartner. And, but what, what, what I'm trying to change the paradigm um, in that context is, Let's take the most best and most meaning, meaningful parts of that data and, and that research and let's create little videos and let's extend the value of that content and that research and the insights over time. And let's, you know, let's feed people bite-sized information. We stay in front of them, we're still adding value. That's one simple sort of uh, technique that, that we're, we're using. Um, uh, Stephen asked if we would also provide like a, a sort of a, a, a good tip that you're using um, and, and I'm, I'm 
I'm a big believer in growth marketing. If you're not familiar with that, it's uh, quick testing, quick failing, and, and you can test channels, messages, uh, content uh, very quickly. There are people who specialize in just growth marketing. That's what they do. And uh, we've learned a ton from that. And it's really been able to back up and validate you know, my strategy uh, of how we do that. Did that answer your question? Okay. Mm -hmm. I think I have a, yes, sir. Yeah, what are you doing with QR codes and any of the statistics that are coming from that as far as subsequent reach out? Anybody want to yeah, take it? Uh, we're doing, yeah, we use QR codes for events all the time. Um, we have QR dedicated QR codes uh, for landing pages, right? If, oh, I've got to fill out a web form, blah, 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 uh, let me just click this QR code. Um, so, so we are, we are using them, uh, maybe not as sophisticated as you could, but uh, we are using them. We are scoring uh, people who use those codes and we add them to our Marketo database and, and we, we track them. That's a quick down. Yeah, and what, what we're doing with them is, so the QR code on, on my card actually has a UTM code attached to it. So when I look at my Google Analytics, no, it's not gonna be 20,000 people came in from this event, but I'll see a few dozen people came to this page. I'm more curious about what they do next, right? So it's, it's not necessarily QR code in and of itself. It's how you tag it and how you're doing attribution and pathing and behavioral analytics on what they do next. How many people filled out a contact form that came in from my card? Same thing on bottles of wine, right? Product packaging can be a huge thing with, um, with QR codes and tracking and stuff like that. I did just get the wrap up. Um, Again, I'm just so thankful that you all took the time to be with us here today. Can we just give it up for the, uh, for the panel? Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found.